Welcome back to the Voice of Santa Clara podcast. My name is Darius Johnson. My name is Antonio Magallanes. And we are here today with Father O'Brien, who's graciously taking the time out to come and speak with us today. Thank you so much, Father O'Brien, for taking the time out. Yeah, happy to be here with you, Antonio and Darius. Awesome. So before we jump in, just want to set the premise for the conversation, deciphering the state of Santa Clara. We have the opportunity to speak with you, Father Brian, on some of the issues and some of the new recent updates that have been ha- going happening across Santa Clara's campus. Um, but just to kick off, for those who may be first time listeners or those who may be incoming freshmen, if you just give us a brief background on yourself and maybe how you uh, came to Santa Clara. I'm from the East Coast. I grew up in uh, South Florida and uh, went to Georgetown for college. That's where I met the Jesuits. But I, I was, as in college, I was interested in other things and eventually went to law school and practiced law. But in my mid-20s, I realized that my, as much as I really liked the law, I wanted something more. I was a little bit restless or unsettled. So I left my law practice and ended up teaching at a local Catholic high school, which is a pretty big move for someone who is building this legal and political career. And I ended up, you know, moving to, after a lot of thought and conversation and praying, actually, I, I accepted this job teaching at a Catholic school at social studies. I was a coach, soccer, did debate. And, but that really led me to think about becoming a Jesuit, which I thought about becoming in college, but had really sort of put to the back of my mind. But it came back a lot. So um, I really loved teaching. I loved education. I really wanted to, to work with younger people. And I realized I wanted to do that as a Jesuit priest, not just as a teacher. So I joined the Jesuits and um, our training is long. It takes about 10 years. And uh, as a Jesuit, I, was, I lived all over the place uh, in New York, in Boston, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Washington, spent time in L.A., did a lot, lot of different types of things, studying and working and doing different things, which I just loved. I, I worked in different colleges, which got me very interested in higher education um, and studying philosophy and theology deepened my, my intellectual life. But I also loved working at different times with migrants and refugees in Los Angeles and on the border in Arizona. So that was extremely formative for me to make sure that whatever I was writing and teaching about was always connected to to the concerns of real people. And so I've always taken migration and, and refugees as concerns of mine and issues to wrestle with. And then uh, I was ordained as a priest and I, I, was, I spent uh, eight years at Georgetown University before coming out to California to be first dean of Santa Clara's Jesuit School of Theology, which is our campus up in Berkeley. And I was a dean up there uh, for three years um, and that's, uh, that's a graduate school of theology for Jesuits and, and, and laymen and women who are going to serve in the church or high schools and colleges. And then um, a year ago, uh, accepted uh, after an after a extensive search process, I accepted the role as president of Santa Clara. So I had a really somewhat really exciting first six months. I met both of you, Antonio and Darius and Malachi. I met Malachi over dinner and then... And then COVID happened. <laughs> so after, as all of you experience, um, our lives changed so dramatically in March. So I think about in my own time as serving as president, I think about 
sort of pre-COVID and post-COVID as you all do. And I'm sort of, we're now still in the post-COVID mode. So I know we'll talk more about that. So that's how I ended up in my current role of service here as president. And I really do consider it, it's not a job, it's not a career for a Jesuit, it's about service. So that's what I consider, that's how I frame what I do as president. That's that's fantastic. It's great. I know, as you mentioned, um, Antonio, Malachi and I have all had the chance, the great chance to meet you um, more than once, uh, but never had the chance to actually talk in this podcast before. As I know, uh, you have been a um, avid guest, so we're definitely happy to have you back on. Um, but definitely, um, Antonio can go ahead and kick off the, the questions and I'll come back and ask some more after. Yeah, so that was actually a perfect segue into my next question. Um, so we definitely understand that Santa Clara has been a very stressful position this upcoming year with all the detrimental decisions that needed to be made. Um, so I, my question is, how has staff dealt with the pressure to make the right call for thousands of people's health? Yeah, I have to say it's, it's, it's uh, again, you know, during the search process to become president, lots of issues came up, right? So how do you make college more accessible and affordable? Um, was a big one. Um, you know, looking at our revenue model and how do we lower tuition or how do we keep this place more affordable? How do we deal with, you know, STEM education? None of us talked about the pandemic, right? And so when it came, and but I have to say, in November, last December was the first time I mentioned it publicly. And I assured the campus that we were starting to prepare. And we thought it would be like other health crises that we've had on campus, that we would, you know, deal with it and but with the months coming on, um, it'd be beginning in December, we actually planned, started planning for remote learning uh, just in case. And so by the time March came and, and we, we were started to fall under those restrictive health orders, which required us to depopulate the campus, basically, if you, if you remember, I mean, March 9th, I think it was. And it's, it's really funny to think about. I, I think I sent that letter on March 9th and I, and I told everyone, for the good of the community, uh, we're going to suspend classes, move to online learning, and I'll see you after Easter, which was a month later. And we thought we'd come back at Easter time. And within two weeks, Provost Kloppenberg and I made the decision to remain virtual for the rest of the semester. And that was hard because I realized what a dramatic shift in learning it was for students to suddenly go home, stay at home, most of them, for our faculty to teach in this way. But both the students and faculty responded so generously and patiently to a to an unreal situation. I, but I have to say, the tough emotionally for me, the toughest decision was postponing graduation for our seniors. And I talked to many seniors before making that decision. In the end, there's no way we w- we would have been permitted to have the, the graduation on campus under the health orders. But it still broke my heart. There's lots of financial implications to dealing with these decisions. And so we, our campus had to deal with those, our faculty and staff, you know, cutting costs and other things and, and delaying a salary raise, which we had planned, which was tough, a reduction, a re- contribution to the retirement benefit, which is hard. Other universities are doing it, but still, I, these are very difficult decisions. And then lastly, in early, you know, we had hoped to come back somewhat normally in the fall with maybe 50-60% on campus, hybrid courses. But given the trajectory in July and August of the state of California, it just was not looking that we'd be able to open safely. And so when you asked Antonio about how we make these decisions, I believe as a leader, decision-making has to be principled. So you think about what are the principles, and we've always talked about three principles, the health and safety of our community, ensuring a 
an exceptional Jesuit education, and lastly, stewarding our, our financial resources well, right? And really the finances, that's the last thing we think about. The, the most important thing are health and safety of our community and maintaining the, the excellence of our Jesuit education and really holding those two in balance. Um, it's hard because we know that you know, most students wanna be around each other. They wanna be in a community with other students. And many of our faculty um, you know, want to be in class in some way. And so saying that we'd be virtual for another quarter was was really tough. It was the right decision, given what we're seeing at other universities um, and given uh, where we were in August when we made the call. But it still, that was a tough one, particularly telling, emotionally for me, I lost sleep on that one about telling freshmen they couldn't come. Like graduation, that broke my heart. Uh, it was the right call, but it it broke my heart. And you know, I think if I could say, you know, when we when we were making that decision in August, what was clear is the numbers were not trending well in California. Cases were going up. We did not have adequate testing in the county or the state. And the turnaround times for testing were too, too long. And that we also had these health orders to deal with. And given that combination, there's no way we could have done an opening really well. I'm hopeful for the future because things are trending better. But back in August, it wasn't working. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know I can speak for myself and Darius when we uh, I say that um, uh, I think we're very grateful and confident in having you as a leader and kind of taking us through this difficult time. I appreciate that. And, and, you know, and part of it is I, I need to I need to hear from, you know, student leaders like yourselves and so many others who've, who've written. And I need to, you know, why did you know, some people say, well, why did you go through all that trouble? trying to plan for an opening. Why didn't you just tell us in May that we were gonna be virtual again? Well, the, the reason was we polled our students and you know you got those evaluations for your online learning in the spring and the feedback was we wanna to be together. Most students wanted to be together in some way, even if it was gonna be a bit overly structured. Um, and so we tried really hard to make it happen. And then we just realized the data was not allowing us to do it. And listen, our, our faculty, um, we had over 400 faculty do extra training over the summer in online pedagogy and online learning. So I thought that was a really helpful. Uh, and hopefully we'll, you'll see the impact of that in your fall courses. But listen, we were trying on so many different levels to make it work, but we just weren't able to. So given where we are doing remote learning, remote, we have a few classes on, on campus, but most are remote. Um, uh, we wanna make sure we retain the excellence of, of the education you receive. Definitely. Um, I think you make a fantastic point, Father Brian, when you mentioned that it's a really difficult choice that has to be made for a lot of people. And there's many, many stakeholders uh, that play a large stake in this. And just really going off of what you said, you mentioned that you have to ensure that one staff and faculty are as prepared as possible when it comes to how do we best transition and adapt in this online environment and to shift to the to the students, mainly first years. As a leader in this position, in this role, how do you, I would say, go about ensuring that these first year students have as strong as possible of a impression one, but also experience of Santa Clara, um, albeit it is virtual? 
Like how, how, how did the process go? Well, this Darius is where like we've relied on students to help us. So Jeannie Rosenberger, particularly and her staff have worked with student leaders like yourselves to get feedback. And I was saying like, what's going to work and how do we stay connected? And as you both, you know, you both of you are sophomores now, right? Yeah. So I met you as first years and you know how important those first few months were. So I get it. And when we're able, if we're able to get first years on campus, you know, then this year, then we'll be able to provide some of that. But in the meantime, you know, we have the great program, SEU Connect, which is a great way for uh, students to remain, to stay connected to our campus organizations. Our admissions office did a great job sort of doing these um, uh, sort of send-offs, sort of virtual send-offs as they went to college. Um, We have outreach happening. So I know every first year was assigned a residence hall, even though they weren't living going to live in them. Um, and uh, so even within the residence halls, there are communities being formed virtually, even though they're not living there yet. And then uh, Campus Ministry has done outreach. And, and then we have sort of, you know, clubs and organizations that are a little more focused. So like the LEAD program had an exceptional orientation, a big fan of LEAD. They, did, they had an exceptional orientation, all virtual um, our athletic teams have done a lot of outreach to athletes. We, we've been able to, we have a few teams on campus because they had already arrived, frankly, in August when we were, when we began, when we, when we made the decision, um, most of them were already arriving. And so we have a few teams on campus, other teams are off. So we've been attentive to reaching out to them. So, you know, I guess the bottom line is that we, we're trying, to, that personal connection is so critical. So we're trying to get faculty, we're trying to get staff and then other students, particularly upper class men and women like yourselves to reach out to, to get those connections. Cause I don't know, it's so vital because we talk about Santa Clara being a community and the only way to build a community is to build relationships. And so we've tried to be really intentional about doing that. And I've re, you know, I've done it myself. I'm, I try to reach out to, to our students in ways that I can. Exactly. And even from a student's point of view, I mean, of course, no one wants to be virtual, but definitely knowing that the opportunity to still get involved, albeit virtual, is still there, as I know that virtual career fair is happening the first week of classes. Um, So definitely there are ways to get more involved on campus. But just one more quick point on the point of utilizing student leaders, what would you say to student leaders that, albeit are leading these virtual, whether it's clubs, organizations, what advice or kind of tips would you give to them to ensure that, you know, new students are really experiencing SCU to the best of their ability? Well, what is, I mean, to just be realistic, like it can't be like, you know, we're running around Benson together, right? So we, can, we can't create it exactly the same. So I think one is just to acknowledge it's different. And then with that, to say, okay, even if it's different, this is what we could do. And so, and I, I can tell you the feedback we got from the faculty surveys is the students who gave the highest marks for their experience were those that had personal interactions or felt cared for by their faculty members, what we call core personalis, care for each person in their uniqueness and mind, body, and spirit, that really important Jesuit value. And, you know, students gave high marks to courses in which they felt their faculty member was really invested in them. So I would say for our student leaders, you know, that individual one-on-one outreach is, is so, so important. Both of you as freshmen and now as sophomore, first years and now as sophomores have gone through this disruption in your life. And you think about, and that was tough, but you think about what the first years are dealing with, having gone through that thing in high school with graduation and coming not coming to campus and 
what ha- what's happening to all their friends in quarantine at other schools. I mean, part of it is just to let our first years give voice to their experience and to sort of walk with them because it's strange and hard. And, and I, I, but I'm, we're going to get through this and it, there, there is another end to this. But now I think we just need each other a lot. Yes, most definitely. And on the topic of community, I can definitely say myself that um, you do have to give more of an effort to reach out and um, give those one-on-one communications. So along with the new adjustments, students have uh, been facing a lot of uh, uncertainty with safety on campus pertaining to the amplifications of social unrest in the world. Came maybe along the lines of like social justice, um, the Black Lives Matter movement. and um, No, I think, uh, you know, beginning in, in June... With the death of, of death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery, right? So there, there was a, a very intentional national conversation, and then you know uh, protest movements and marches in which uh, you know I think school was just about ending or had ended when those marches started. You know we began this extended conversation again about the legacy of slavery and, and the uh, reality of racism in our country. And those, those conversations continued over the summer, and, and I was engaged with student groups like Igwe and um, MCC leaders and faculty, particularly black faculty, over the summer about, about what we could do better. I think one of the things we learned, again, this is before um, Antonio and Darius, before you arrived, beginning in 19, 2015 and 16, 17, there had been a series of these task forces which had identified certain problems and needs on campus and those, a series of recommendations, and including a number of recommendations that came out of diversity town halls that we had with students. In one sense, we had a lot of great recommendations, but we weren't tracking them well enough. In other words, we, were, we weren't sharing our progress or lack of progress. So over the summer, what we started to work on was, okay, we've got scores of recommendations and, and pathways to achieve them, but we weren't communicating well what we had accomplished and what was left undone. And who would be accountable? So we're, we, we've been working on that and continue to do that so we can make progress on these issues that we've identified. One thing I heard, and I totally agree with, no more task forces. Like, we know what to do. We know what the issues are. Then in August, again, with more intentional or, or intense conversations about race in this country, given the political campaign, uh, the deaths of, of, of other black men, you know, th- those conversations became tense and then they became localized with um, concerns about campus safety on our campus. And so we started to do some things which were particular to Santa Clara. With, and I announced um, a few weeks ago that we'd be two things with regard to campus safety. One is we would uh, do an audit, which or basically a review of campus safety over, it could be 10 or 20 years, frankly, right? Whatever the records show about uh, what, what concerns do people have about campus safety, uh, what are they doing well? What are they not doing well? How can we restructure or make campus safety serve our students, our faculty, and our staff better? And the folks in campus safety, you know, welcome this audit because they want to say, how can we do our job better? But we need to hear from people on our campus about what their experience has been. So we're, we're beginning this audit or this review in which our current students and alums will have a chance to offer input. So that to me is a, is a, is a very good thing. And we're also doing there's a great book, uh, Jennifer Eberhardt's a professor at Stanford, and she has a great book called Biased, and it's a behavioral approach to um, looking at unconscious or conscious bias, and how do you unlearn biases that are ingrained in you consciously or unconsciously. And so uh, her team is, is, is conducting a number of trainings across campus, not just in campus safety, but 
Art My Cabinet did one last week and others. So those are just two very concrete things that we're addressing. But you know, one training is not enough. One audit is not enough. It has to be about building a culture of accountability and transparency. So that's what I promise, is that there'll be a, a transparency and accountability for when, what we do right and what we're not getting right. And that's why we need to hear from, from students, uh, among others in our community. And I just want to end with this. At, at, the, at the faculty staff convocation, which, be, which was held a, right before the start of school, the first day of classes, as a president of the university, after listening to alums who had written me and called me over the summer, you know, one dating back to 1970, I, I, I felt it was important for me to apologize on behalf of the university for those members of our community over the years who had suffered from acts or of racism or inaction, not, res- not responding to their needs as we ought. And to acknowledge that um, racism has and does exist on our campus and that to, to apologize for it and to acknowledge the hurt that was done to members of our community at the university over a number of number of years. But the key is that I gotta, there's got to be action, right? So that's why being accountable is so, so important because the apology is important, but the apology doesn't mean anything unless there's action to follow. So that's, that's what I'm promising. Definitely. And of course, um, the black student myself, I know I can speak for many of the other black students on campus. You know, these are things that we have been facing for a long time. It's great to hear you say that and really track back to, I mean, I would say probably since black students were allowed to even attend Santa Clara, since things like this have been happening. Um, And you did mention the safety precautions that are being uh, taken and actually have be, have gone into place because of recent incidents. And I kind of want to flip to the other side of the coin when it comes to, in terms of education and, per, and, and progressing Black students, not only coming to Santa Clara, but also being successful at Santa Clara. I know many students want to know things that have been taking place, such as the Black Excellence Fund, which I know you can definitely touch more on that, but also maybe some other things that are happening on campus to support the black student body. Right. Yeah. So these issues, you know, cut across you know, all people of color, but we, we've particularly this summer focused on the experiences of our black community. And one of the things we heard and we've known is the desire. And we that's one of the recommendations we've been working on the last couple of years is increasing the number of black students on campus. I believe this year it's about 4% and that's what it's uh, undergrads. And that's what it's been about for a couple of years. And we've, we've been attempting to, to, to get that percentage higher. And a lot of that is, you know, making sure that there's uh, greater financial assistance for students who want to come to Santa Clara. So we established, there's already been a couple of funds devoted to, to recruiting black students, but we established a new fund, um, the Black Excellence Fund, uh, with a student and faculty and staff committee sort of put this idea together. And we've been fundraising for it. I think at last look, last week, we had over $200,000 in the fund. Um, it's an endowed fund, which means it, it'll be there forever. And we want to grow that fund considerably so that every year we have more money available for scholarships for uh, black students. Uh, there are other scholarships for uh, Latinx students, for instance, and, and other people of color. So, but I think for me, I, you know, looking back, when I started this job as president, I, I said one of my principal priorities is greater access and affordability to a Santa Clara education. And that remains a priority for all students for me because it, it's just really expensive to, to attend here. So it, that's a priority of mine. And in a sense, the Black Excellence Fund is just 
an example of that. But, you know, the other thing, Darius, is, you know, part of it is, you know, creating a, a culture where, you know, all students feel welcome, where they feel it's their home. And when, I, when I've heard from black students currently or alumni, um, again, one call, I had this great conversation with an alum from 1970 or 71, and she was one of the first black women on campus, not the first black student. We had, we had I think our first black man to attend campus uh, to come to Santa Clara was in the 50s. Women were not permitted for another decade. And she was one among the first women, black women on our campus. And the stories she told were very similar to what I had heard last year from a student who was here. And it was, it was you know, uh, something she heard in class, for instance, or something she experienced in the dining hall. So part of me is how do you create this culture of welcome and hospitality where uh, no one feels left out because of, of who they are. And I don't know, I, I, that to me is a, you know, building that culture is so, so important. And part of it is making sure we have the right, you know, blend of students here from different backgrounds so that people are exposed to diversity and difference, which I think is really healthy. Yeah, I can tell you right now, um, just hearing what you're saying is really comforting um, uh, addressing these topics. Um, I'm really excited about what the future looks like. Um, I know you're very strong on an emphasis of community and having a diverse culture. So I guess uh, my question is, what uh, message would you give the students, parents or staff um, to take with them as they undergo this unfortunate fall quarter and possibly academic year? I, well, at first is gratitude. So thank you. Uh, thank you for, you know, sticking with it. Thank you for being a part of our community. That's the most important thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is we are going to get through this and we're going to get it through it together and we're going to be better for it. And it, so a part of it is I want to give a message of hope. The last thing I think it would be is please a call for this sort of writ large generally is a call to be gentle with yourselves and other people. Because I think all of us are caring, you know, uh, we've heard about the mental health and emotional health struggles of our students uh, during this time, which is completely understandable. And frankly, you know, as a, as a, as a man in my 50s, I have good days and bad days. I mean, I, there's some days where this is easier. There are other days where it's just hard. So part of it is to be just to be gentle with yourselves and with other people, knowing that we, we're carrying this burden very, very differently and so laying on top of this emotion, you know, the virtual learning, remote learning thing we're, we're doing, the overlay of this cause for greater racial justice, which touches all of us in different ways very deeply, and not just the black community, but allies of the black community and other people of color and, and you know, white people like myself, we're trying to figure out what's the, how, what's the best way to help and do and be a part of the change and to, and, to, and to carry the change ourselves, not just to leave it to others to do. Trying to work all that out and to be present to each other and to care for each other and to, and to work for the justice and the racial justice we all want, that, that's part of this mix too. And it adds to the complexity of this moment. And then you add on top of that, like this horrible political environment we're in, where it can just be so distressing uh, no matter where we fall politically, it could just be like, oh, there's just so the fighting and the sometimes a lack of basic, I don't know, understanding about who we are as American people and what, how we should be better as a country. I just think you throw all that mixed together. That's why I think we just have to say sometimes you just got to give ourselves and others a break sometimes to carry us through this. But I know we're going to get through this. And I know that's why I think, you know, this country needs Santa Clara because of 
you know, students like you, I mean, Antonio and Darius and Malachi. And can I tell you, the, on those bad days, the reason I get through them is because of like, it, because of people like you. Like I'm, I'm here because of students and young people or graduate students who are trying to make the world a better place. They're growing into the people God is calling them to be great ideals that they want to put into action. They challenge me. You challenge me to be a better human being and a better Jesuit. That's what I love about this. And I, I, I try to focus on that to carry me through. So I hope that others can, can do the same to sort of focus on what is it that gives them life and to use that as their energy, their, their, their fuel for change. I just want to highlight one point that you mentioned. It really just centers around using other people to give you life and inspiration to keep moving forward. Um, I think that's really, again, what being a part of Santa Clara is all about and kind of going to this university. And I guess just to wrap up um, one last question, I guess on this last topic, would just to be to touch on, this might be a uh, little tough for you, Father Brian, I'll put you in, in, a, in, a, in a tough spot here. But if you had a crystal ball, I know many students have a ton of questions, you know, they're wondering how will winter quarter look, spring quarter look, kind of from more of the standpoint on the macro events such as COVID. Um, is there any way, not that you can predict the future, but maybe a hope that you have for winter quarter, spring quarter, that maybe students can hear and have an idea of what the future may look like on, on campus at Santa Clara? Yeah, I mean, so I think longer term, let me go longer term, then I'll go short term. Longer term, I do think, however painful this is, that we are going to be better. And I can tell you, I can tell you the testimony of our faculty and our staff, we have learned a ton about how to be better teachers and mentors, different ways to connect, using technology not as a replacement, but as an accent or, or a complement to what we're doing. I think we're gonna be better. I think we're gonna be teaching in new ways. I think we're gonna be more creative. So I'm excited about that. And, and these hard questions on racial justice, I think we're, we are gonna be better. Now it's painful, but I think we're gonna be better as a result, because we don't mind having the difficult conversation and being confronted with painful reality. And sometimes just like the reason it's painful is it's hard, but it's a sign you just go right through it. You just deal with it. And I think we are in a way I, I appreciate. So I'm really hopeful longer term. Um, shorter term, you know, listen, we are going to try, we, our goal is to try to, you know, get back to normal as soon as we can, but we got to follow, you know, what are the health and safety guidelines we're going to operate out of. So our hope is to, as I, as I said to the first years back in August, our hope is to, is to bring people back to campus in greater numbers in the winter, if we can do it. In the short term, it's not going to be 35 people crammed in a room. That's not going to be with us in, in, in the very, very short term. But, you know, we need to find ways to sort of, you know, because our faculty miss engaging our students too. You know, some because of their own health or family's health, it'll have to be virtual. Others may have some other personal interaction. But in our athletic teams, they want to play. So, you know, my hope in the, in, the, in the winter, spring is to be able to bring us back in some way. I can't promise it because I don't know what the health guidelines will be. That's why I just, let me just say, if we all pitch in, wear the mask, stay socially distant, watch your hands. You know, if we all do those small things, I think it makes it more likely. And we're seeing it in the state. Our numbers in the state of California are trending really, really well. Um, Antonio, where you are in LA, numbers are so much better than they were in July. Santa Clara County has always done relatively well. We're much better than we were in uh, July, August. So I think if we all do our part, I think we're going to be able to make this work. So I just, 
and I, I just really encourage people to chip in in that way because um, it'll help. So that's my hope, Darius, because uh, I, I miss I miss having you around. Not just you, Darius and Matt and Antonio, but <laughs> no, no, like no. all your friends. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. I, I listen. I was I was walking through campus the other day. Um, I almost got run over by a skateboarder. Right. And it was some some dude who was flying through campus on his skateboard. I think it was someone who was living off campus. And it reminded me of the old days when, the, you know, that circle in front of the Mission Church was just full of people. And so I, I can't wait to get back to that one day. No, I mean, definitely. Um, and I'm sure all of us can't wait to get back uh, to that point one day as well. Um, and thank you again for coming on. Definitely. Can I ask you both um, a question? Oh, no. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So um, what do you miss most, Antonio and Darius? What do you miss most? Because Darius, you're, in, you're back at home in Chicago and Antonio, you're in LA. Yeah. What, do you, what do you miss most about Santa Clara? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Making us uh, think here for sure. Um, I would say one thing I miss a lot about campus, um, honestly, is those breaks in between classes when you're walking on campus and you might pass a friend or you're walking on campus and you go in events and you see everyone you know in one in one place waiting in the long sandwich line. Um, so I definitely miss that point of it. And then when you're in the moment and you're waiting in that long sandwich line or like you're walking from class to class, you know, you uh, may be tired, I've had a long day and you can't appreciate it that much in the moment. But definitely stepping back now, um, just those moments that really make up Santa Clara and the really just the entire experience of Santa Clara, just seeing the people. So I would def- definitely miss that the most. Uh, yeah, I mean, I pretty much miss uh, pretty much what Darius says, the sense of community, right? Uh, just seeing your friend at Benson, seeing your own uh, president, Father O'Brien, uh, getting a sandwich uh, behind, behind you. Um, so, yeah, just the sense of culture um, and sense of community just um, all really just reminiscing right now. All right. Well, listen, whenever we're allowed to do it, we'll 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 eat uh, we'll eat a meal in Benson together when we get to be back on campus and inside Benson. So <laughs> exactly. For sure. There, there is one more question from Brian that I did want to ask you. This is more of a of a uh, fun question, if you will. I know, Gavin, I've like probably asked you before what, what your ideal Saturday is. And I know many people have heard that. One other question I want to ask you is if you could have um, dinner with anyone dead or alive, um, who would it be and why would you have dinner with them? Um, okay. Yeah. So I get a couple of people like a table for four. Right? Okay. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, cause I like, so I like how different people interact. Right. So, um, I find Lady Gaga a fascinating human being. <laughs> so I would, I would want to put her at that table cause I just think she's a pr- provocative and interesting. So I would put Lady Gaga, um, I would, I would, uh, Tom Hanks, because he's just really funny. I just think he's a very funny actor and person and someone like, I also find Tiffany Haddish really, <laughs> really funny. So I think that would be a really fun table because I think what I need is, is, is fun. Um, and, and, and seriousness, cause they're all very smart people, right? They're all very thoughtful. But to have the three of them at a table, I think, would be really fun. Those are the three that come to mind. I, I would like to have a one-on-one dinner with Ruth Bader Ginsburg so she can tell me all about her life um, and, and how she did what she did. But that would just be the two of us in a table in the corner. <laughs> wow. That's a great answer. Definitely the most unique answer I've heard having four people at a table, but definitely, definitely a good one. But 
But um, again, right on behalf of the Voices of Santa Clara podcast and all the students listening and the entire Santa Clara community, we just thank you again for coming on again, chatting with us and um, tackling some tough topics, but definitely giving us um, your genuine point of view. So thank you again, Father Brian. Great. Thanks. Hey, great to see you all. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you.